The scripture this morning is 1 John chapter 5, verses 13 through 21. Please stand for the reading of God's word. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the boldness we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have obtained the request made of him. If you see your brother or sister committing what is not a mortal sin, you will ask, and God will give life to such a one. To those whose sin is not mortal, there is a sin that is mortal. I do not say that you should pray about that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is a sin that is not mortal. We know that those who are born of God do not sin, but the one who was born of God protects them, and the evil one does not touch them. We know that we are God's children, and that the whole world lies under the power of the evil one. We know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true. In his son, Jesus Christ, he is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. <clears throat> it's kind of, a, kind of a strange passage this week. I'm going to do my best to get us through it. I realized in... In preparing over about a couple weeks ago that Advent actually starts the last uh, Thursday in November, uh, a week earlier than I was thinking, you know, three months ago when I laid this out. So I had to combine uh, a couple weeks here. And so what we are actually <coughs> looking at, and my hope is that you, you follow along some at home, um, this week you could read 1 John 5. 13 all the way through 2nd John. Um, but I'm not going to go through all of that in the sermon. A lot of it is repetitive. Uh, but as far as reading at home, you could read 5.13 all the way through 2nd John. But I wanted to focus in on this passage as I think it's, it's the most important in this section. And then next week we will conclude our, our look at the, uh, the Johannine epistles, the letters of John, by looking at, at 3rd John. And a really important message there. Uh, in, this, in this passage that I've chosen here, uh, John basically is trying to uh, remind his, his readers, his audience, that, um, that, that Jesus is the full revelation of the Father, uh, that he's been revealed to us fully, and that if we abide in him and we love abiding, if we abide in him, then we are transformed and actually we're transformed into, into his children, into the children of God. And so he, he sort of ends by, by talking about and reminding his audience about the, the role of the Father and the Son being revealed to us who become the children of God. Okay? Um, so it's a lot of, lot of reminder here. 
in this in this closing section. But there's a few things that I thought those are that's kind of a head scratcher. And if you are following along at home, I want to try to provide a little bit of insight into this. And so that's why I've chosen this passage uh, today. <clears throat> so we are God's children. According to John, we're God's children, uh, and here he says, uh, uh, based on a couple different things, we're God's children uh, in spirit, we're God's children in blood, and we're God's children in water. He uses all of these uh, in spirit, obviously, kind of because of the gifting of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit comes and lives in us. The Spirit breathes life into us, so we're the children of God in that way. By blood, the blood of Jesus, uh, by the, the blood offered, you know, in death, his sacrifice, and we're, <clears throat> excuse me, we're God's children in, in water, the waters of baptism, that we are God's children in all of these ways. So if anyone's trying to, to do a paternity test, right, or check our, our viability as the children of God, he says, you've got all these things covered, spirit, blood, and water, we're the children of God. As such, abide in him, as you abide, you're transformed, as you're transformed, you now reveal the very triune God in the world, and that this is how God is, has, it wants it to be, that we would be the children of God to reveal God to the world. He says, he goes on to say that if we have faith, uh, that to have faith is actually to have eternal life. That if we have faith, we have eternal life. Um, and, and I think we see this in his writings, and, and uh, uh, many have, have written about this, but w- what he's suggesting is that eternal life, you know, sometimes we think of this as, as some sort of like, uh, you know, it's like a present you unwrap or something uh, after death, or, you know, you're, you're at the, the, the throne room, and if you get to go through this door, you get this present, if you get to go through this door, you know, it's a different present, right? Um, but really what he's getting at is, if you have faith now, Right? If we're abiding now, if we're transformed now, thinking what he said earlier about sin and not sinning anymore, and he says it again later, then that eternal life, it's actually beginning now. C.S. Lewis writes about this in The Great Divorce, but he talks about how this life, um, if we have faith and if we are living in discipleship, as we look back, we realize, wow, eternal life is something that began long ago, even before death, because we were with him. And that actually the opposite can be said as well if we, if we go that route. So eternal life and faith are, are, are hand in hand. They're, they're related. And there's something that even begins now. That our life with God, our eternal life can begin even now if we are people of faith. Then he begins to get into where I think we often get tripped up. This idea that uh, maybe God is uh, sort of the genie in the bottle kind of thing, right? Like if you if you you can ask anything of God, God's going to give it to you. And so we start getting things in our heads like mansions and Teslas or retirement funds or I don't know Barbie dolls or whatever. Whoever's hearing this thinks of. He says, if we abide, then we can ask boldly. But then he goes on to give some parameters, like you know, just don't ask for anything. You know, this isn't stock options. If you if you abide. You can ask boldly, and now we begin to focus in a bit more on on this brief passage. But what is it that we're supposed to ask for? He transitions directly into this conversation, this this mention of of asking boldly. He transitions immediately into saying that we are to pray for the forgiveness of sins. Uh, Now, then he talks about mortal sins, and we get into that, and that's where I think it gets really kind of confusing. So, um, 
for example, he, he, the things that we're allowed to pray for, it seems to me like we're at least this, one of the things should be praying for the forgiveness of sins for ourselves and for others. This is one reason why we do this. Um, what do you do with your power? You don't pray for yachts or boats or, or whatever. You pray for the forgiveness of sins because what ultimately matters is that eternal life and, and being able to be children of God. And so we don't want things that will prevent us from that. And ideally, we shouldn't want things that will prevent you from that either. So we are to use our power to, to, plead, to plead with God to, to forgive us of our sins and to do so for others as well. You kind of get this image of everyone doing, so, doing that for each other. And as everyone is praying for the forgiveness of sins for each other, God hears and responds is, is what, he, what he says. But then there's this interesting stuff about mortal sins. Uh, if you see your brother or sister committing what is a mortal sin, um, <clears throat> first of all, he says, uh, uh, if you see that, you will ask God to give life to one, um, but who's, to whose sin is not mortal. Um, there is a sin that is mortal. I, I don't say that you should pray about that. That's really strange. Uh, there are mortal sins, but I'm not saying you should pray about that. Now, all wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that is mortal. And then he goes on to talk about forgiveness of sins. What is he talking about here? I felt like I had to address this. Probably because I don't know, so I had to figure it out. and I had to look and research it. So he says that we should be praying for each other. Now, if we're praying for the sins of each other, if you just stop and think about that, that's a bold and vulnerable thing. What that assumes is confession. Now, as good Protestants that are not Lutherans, we don't ever confess, or we don't like that. We don't talk about that. We don't think we need to confess. You know, sometimes the Lutherans do, or, or maybe the high church folk, but that's a Catholic thing, or whatever. But if you pay attention to Scripture, the confessing, confessing sins is central. For, for Wesley, confessing was a, a, a regular, daily part of the, of the small groups of the bands that people would be a part of. You voluntarily join, and it's, it's kind of like if you've ever been a part of an accountability group, where you choose to join into a small group of, of of sisters, brothers, whatever, who um, you're kind of hard on each other. And some of the best and, and most difficult times in my life, I've been in those kind of groups where I can say, I, 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 need, I need forgiveness of this. I'm struggling with this. And I'm confessing that to somebody. And I'm, I'm becoming vulnerable because they could use that against me. Unfortunately, us Christians like to do that sometimes. Um, but if, if we're doing this rightly, praying for the sins of others means that they're confessing their sins to you. And if they do so, that's this vulnerable thing where somebody says to you, I'm really struggling with this. I need help. And so then you take that and you genuinely care about that to the point that you say, I need to take time out of my life to pray for her, to pray for him. And, and then you do it and you mean it. That's the, the sort of relationship, this vulnerable relationship he's getting at. We're supposed to use our power this way um, and so it assumes confession. For Wesley, that was something they did every single time they got together. Anytime they would take, they would receive the Eucharist, they would take communion, uh, they would have time where there would be public confession. Either they would stand up and confess publicly, or, you know, maybe you've hurt somebody, you'd slip over to them and say, I was rude to you this week. I'm sorry about that. Do you forgive me? And once that's done, then now I can come and receive the body and blood of Christ because I've made, I've made it right with people. Now that's radical. I'm not telling you you have to do that, but 
It is something that Jesus talks about a lot. And to be a confessing community would be a transformative thing. I'll just leave it at that. He says this is how we should use our bold ability. But we shouldn't concern ourselves with mortal sins. And this is the head scratcher. Now, a mortal sin is basically the kind of thing um, that, that can separate us off from God. Uh, different traditions have talked about it differently, but often you might think of the, the, like the seven deadly sins. You might think of the, the Roman Catholic Church has these identified, and some churches will um, identify the same ones. So things like envy, wrath, gluttony, greed, sloth, pride, adultery. And then the, the Roman Catholic Church has actually recently added, and I think helpfully so, pedophilia, abortion, and uh, a broad category, social injustices that are um, prevent people from coming to God, or you're actively like, you are causing injustice in the world and benefiting from it, that kind of thing. It's kind of a, an ambiguous term. But the idea is that these are the kinds of sins that are really big, um, and they're, they're life-altering, they're life-ending, they put up a wall between you and God, and certainly between you and others as well. These are pretty big, and they're ones that we all struggle with, or we can, or we have at times. And John says we shouldn't, want, we shouldn't worry about those. Now, I have to just tell you, this is speculation at this point, because I don't know. I wish I could interview him and figure this out. But I wonder why he says that we aren't to concern ourselves with these things. I've got a few guesses. You probably do too. And, and I'm going to say, this is just an educated guess. I wonder if we're to leave these alone because these kinds of sins invite envy and gossip amongst ourselves. Um, often they're not the sort of sins that you go in and you confess to somebody unless you have a really good, deep relationship. And I do think that kind of changes this. These are the kind of sins that we love to, to watch. We love to like eavesdrop and hear rumors get started about so-and-so who's doing this or who's doing that. These are the kind of sins that often make us feel like, well, at least I'm not doing what he's doing. Or, well, I'm not like so-and-so. Um, and then we kind of whisper about that and we talk about it because they're so big. They're, they're so... Not glamorous, but you know what I mean. They're, they have that kind of, a, of an air to them. And you see, gossip is not in this church, certainly. But in many churches, gossip is, is that sort of original sin that we just can't shake. And even with ourselves, we, sometimes we just can't help it. Oh, I'm just praying. I'm just trying to find out all the prayer, prayer requests. Right? Sometimes we do this. Not you. Not me. Not this church. But some churches. It's the Baptists, really. Okay? It's the Baptists. Just kidding about that. But anyways, these kinds of sins and gossip, I, I, I think that one of the reasons is... Uh, now, he doesn't get into a lot of detail. I do think that, that if you have the kind of relationship with a sister or a brother, and they come to you and they say... I'm having an affair, or I am a glutton, or I'm stealing from my job, that kind of thing. Well, then obviously, once they come to you and they confess, then, then you should be praying for them, and they're asking for help. But often, these are the kind of private sins that we don't tell people about, but we love to find them out, 
And I think that that's what he's getting at. He's like, there's enough sin out there. Let's deal with these, these ones that we do talk about, that we do confess about. And, and let's worry about ourselves and our relationship with God. I think that's what he's getting at. Because gossip and, and the way that finding these things out, they can just destroy us. It can tear up a church. It can tear up a community. Um, there is a, uh, an illustration... I don't know if it's true or not. A story allegedly took place about a, 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 a Jewish congregation uh, where a man in the congregation had been slandering the rabbi, had been gossiping and sharing things about him that weren't true, wanted him out or whatever. I don't know exactly how their polity works or, 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 or so forth. But um, he was convicted of this. And so he went to the rabbi and he said, I have to be honest, I'm the one who's been spreading the lies about you. Um, I, I don't like you or I didn't like you. I've changed my mind. And, and I'm sorry. I've hurt you. I know that. What can I do to make amends? And that the rabbi thought for a minute and he said, Thank you for this. Um, since you want to make amends, do you have a pillow at home? Like a nice, like a down, you know, feather pillow. I do. Okay. Well, then, if you wouldn't mind, please go to the public square tomorrow when things are busy. And I want you to cut it open in front of everybody. And tear it open. Okay, okay, absolutely, I'll do that. Thank you, I'm so sorry. So he goes home, he you know, sleeps on the pillow. The next day, gets the pillow. He goes to the middle of you know, the, the public square. People are around and all this stuff. The pigeons are flying. The sun is shining. And he cuts the pillow open and he tears it open. And he's convinced, oh, this is like this symbolism about um, what sin can do in our life. And God is going to redeem me and all this stuff. And he feels good about things. And now he goes back to the rabbi and he says, I've done it. I, I, I tore up my pillow. I let the feathers fly. And the priest and the rabbi says, that's wonderful. Now, if you would just go and collect all of those feathers, you'll know what, your, what gossip does to people. Yeah. Um, supposedly, uh, Will Rogers is said to have said that we should live lives uh, that we wouldn't be ashamed to sell the family parrot to the town gossip. Right? Gossip is such a small thing... But it destroys us. It destroys community. You can destroy and unravel a life by saying one thing wrong, planting seeds and just kind of stoking the fire a little bit and letting it go. It's like, how would you ever collect all those feathers? Uh, instead, we ought to live the sorts of lives that hopefully people couldn't do that. But unfortunately, gossip does have quite a bit of, of power to it. So I think that this is what John is getting at. Uh, there are mortal sins, they're big, they're important, he says, but let's just focus on the sort of regular everyday ones and let's be that kind of a community and, and see where that goes. In confessing and praying for others, we're told in verse 18, um, he says, uh, he goes back to a theme from earlier, that those born of God don't sin. But then he immediately goes on to say, but it's God who enables this to, to, to happen, to be, to be true. We avoid sin, not by our own power, but because we're abiding in God and God is transforming us and God's power, God's spirit allows us to avoid sin. And then he ends by saying, I urge you little children to avoid idols. Now, of course that's true in all situations, but I think in light of what he's just said and what these letters have said, I believe there's one key idol that he's getting at. 
And that key idol that we're to avoid is ourselves. Often we are the thing that stands in our way. Often we are the thing that blocks us out from God and others. That's what, that's what the root of gossip is. Jealousy, pride. Pride, after all, is usually thought to be the mortal sin. Pride is that sin, if we dissect what happens in Genesis 1, or Genesis uh, 3, excuse me, it's, it's pride that says, well, but I want to do it a different way. I, I want to do things slightly different. And if you think about the... Um, it's so interesting that the first evidence of sin is that they know themselves to be naked and they're ashamed. What that means is that they now look upon themselves and think, I don't like this. I think it should be different. I think it should look this way or that way or I'm not... It's, it's pride that says, I don't like the way you've done things. I would do it better. I would do it differently. Or you've just done this poorly. Pride isolates us from God and from others. Pride is the mortal sin. Now, uh, if you're wanting to know, and as you read along at home, if you do so, in Second John, it's very brief, and he just uh, reiterates a few of the themes that he's already suggested to us, and he addresses the, la- the letter to the elect lady and her children, which most likely is a way of referring to the church or a particular church and her children or her members, uh, the people in that congregation. So he writes a letter just sort of reiterating, restating a lot of the same themes, but in a really brief way, and he addresses it to... Um, to the elect lady. John's letters are definitely written in a way that he's hoping many will read them and benefit from them. So like, whereas Paul would write a letter to the church in Philippi, and then the understanding is they're going to circulate them around, John's letters are written with the understanding that there may be an intended audience, but this is applicable for everyone. And so he writes it sort of generically uh, in that way. Now, most importantly, as we close this, the look at this little passage here, I think that we see that John concludes uh, with a very strong warning that I think he's 100% spot on with this, that we are our greatest enemies, that we must stand aside, that we let our pride fall, that we are supposed to live sacrificially, think of last week especially, so that God can transform us into God's love, which then allows us to go out into the world as that love, so that others would encounter it and they would be changed themselves. That we are God's children, that we have power in this, but that the power we have is not what we often think of as power. It's a sacrificial power. It's a, it's a community-building power. It's a loving relational power that says people can be vulnerable with you and you can be vulnerable with others and that we will lift up our prayers for the forgiveness of sins to God, that God will hear them, transform us, and give us eternal life that we are meant to share with others. Okay. To all, uh, take a few takeaways quickly. So the first, uh, he says to all those who endure in faith in Jesus that eternal life is promised. And I, I'm convinced that that's not just 
some something for you know the afterlife or some box that one day you get to open but living in relationship with Jesus living in discipleship living in a blessed community of, of sacrifice and and care like he's described this is the beginnings of eternal life it's like we're climbing a mountain and we're already we're at the bottom of the hill well at what point does the true hike begin it begins the moment you start taking the steps it may not feel that way right now but when we're halfway up we realize we're halfway there we've already begun that's what when, when he talks about eternal life it's not some pie in the sky somewhere else it's it begins right now that's part of what wesley um draws on when he talks about how we can live transformed lives together the second, very simple, but so profound, is that we are to pray for each other. And we are to pray for each other's sicknesses, for, for the things that disappoint us. If you have kids, often the prayer requests mentioned have to do with things or, or things that might seem small, but you know, to them are really big. We're supposed to pray for these things. But, if we, if we read scripture, we pay attention. We are supposed to pray for the forgiveness of sins. We're supposed to pray for justice and mercy in the world. We're supposed to pray for transformation. This is an aside that I, I wasn't going to share, but there's a, a, a Methodist a bishop, uh, William Willimon, used to be a, a chaplain at Duke University. And, and I heard him say once, uh, he, he's, uh, he's, he's fiery. Um, I heard him say once that he, he shows up at a church and he immediately judges them by their prayer request sheet on, a, on their bulletin. Um, and basically, if it's all pray for Sister Joe's, Joan's knees and, and, and Mark's uh, you know, sickness and whatever, if that's all it is, then he said they're not reading Jesus. Because Jesus says, we, gotta, we have to pray for the forgiveness of sins. We have to pray for the end of war. We have to pray for the end of human trafficking and for justice and the homeless and things like that. We're supposed to pray for both. Right? But he's got a point. When we pray for each other, this is not just meant to be a superficial sort of, I'll pray for you. One, we're supposed to really do it. We all do that differently. Some of us take notes and, and read over those. That's how we pray. Some of us remember these things and sit and spend long periods of time. Some of us tack it up on a board and look at it as we walk by the day and doing that is a way of praying. There's different ways of praying. There's no one way that this is the biblical way and the rest of you are wrong. But we do it. That's the key thing, is that especially if somebody shares with you, I'm really struggling with this. Uh, or if you know that something giant is going on in the world that's too big for you to solve, but needs to be solved, we should pray about those things. Turns out, I think we have power in that. God wants to hear from us and to change those things. So, we're supposed to pray for each other, but that's not just a kind of surface level, oh yeah, sure, we're supposed to pray for each other, right? Let's get on to lunch. But it's, we're supposed to pray for each other. Um, the third is that being born of God involves not sinning. He talks about this repeatedly in this letter. But that not sinning is not necessarily through our own power. Like we just choose to stop it right now. We, we're involved. But it's Christ's power through us. It's the abiding, indwelling of the Holy Spirit that begins to say, you don't have to do that anymore. You can still be snarky and unforgiving and crude or whatever. But you don't have to be. And if you do it, you can turn around and say, I didn't mean to do that. I'm sorry. I'm trying to change. Seems small, but it's huge. And the more we do that, then the less we are tempted 
to, to live the way we used to. He says we really can. That we can be born of God and that we can stop sinning. But we can stop sinning by living sacrificially and saying, God, live in me. Dwell in me. The image that always sticks out to me from a plain account of Christian perfection where Wesley lays some of this out is he says the person who is sanctified is the person who's on their knees every single morning and every single night saying, God, I need more forgiveness. I am a sinner. Forgive me. And they're the person that all of us would look at and say, that person hasn't sinned in 40 years. She's perfect. But she's convinced she's terrible. And she's a sinner. And she needs God's blood. She needs the forgiveness of sins or whatever. There's that sacrificial uh, element to it. This is what it means to no longer be a person of sin. It's to let God live in us, to change us, to live differently. Well, we have one more week in these letters. I've received some great feedback from you. I hope it's been helpful to you. Remember, if you're reading along at home, you can read all the rest of five and read chapter um, uh, the second John this week. And then next week, we're going to look at third John as we draw a, a close to this look at the Johannine epistles. I hope it's been helpful to you. I've enjoyed it. Um, if you would stand and receive the benediction as we prepare to go out into the world that certainly needs us to be God's love and grace. May we go forth as God's children, full of love, but not pride, confessing our sins to each other and praying in earnest for the forgiveness of of those sins. May we be a transformed community, transforming the world around us. Go in peace. You're dismissed. Amen.